KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Monday, April 5th. Vaccination efforts in San Diego are getting praise from the governor. More on that just after the headlines. Governor Gavin Newsom says when California has administered 4 million COVID-19 vaccinations in low-income communities, which could happen as early as next week, he expects the state to lower the threshold for counties to move into the state's orange COVID-19 tier. That change will make it easier for San Diego to advance from the red tier into that less restrictive orange tier. That would mean the county could lift capacity restrictions at retail stores, at businesses such as restaurants, movie theaters, fitness centers, and they could increase the number of fans permitted at Petco Park. Sewage contamination from the Tijuana River caused the Silver Strand and Coronado shorelines to close down over the weekend, according to San Diego County environmental health officials. Officials extended previous water closure notices at the Tijuana Slough and Imperial Beach areas as sewage flows from the Tijuana River continue to move north. Demolition started on the 400-foot-tall smokestack at the Encina Power Station. The smokestack has been part of Carlsbad's identity since the 1970s. The plant was decommissioned in 2018 and in an agreement with the city has to be completely torn down within three years. The smokestack is expected to be demolished by July. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Governor Gavin Newsom toured a pop-up vaccination site in City Heights on Friday. KPBS reporter Max Lynn Nadler tells us he was there to showcase the county's efforts in speeding up vaccine distribution. Newsom toured the one-day vaccination site flanked by San Diego's political leaders. He was promoting the efforts the state has made in trying to reach its most vulnerable and provide easy access to vaccines and especially the progress that San Diego has made on this front. This county this city is leading the way in the state of California. The vaccination site came after days of efforts by community organizations to sign people up for an appointment. Newsom said by leading with community organizations as trusted messengers and targeting communities most impacted by COVID-19, San Diego is on the path to a broader reopening. This state is the only state in the country that has committed 40% of all of its first doses to be set aside under an equity framework which will allow cities and counties like San Diego to move more quickly through these tiers, ultimately getting to a green tier, which we'll be talking a lot more about next week. City Heights is home to thousands of undocumented older people, many of whom were impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Last year, Newsom removed a budget allocation for expanding Medi-Cal to that community. 
Even though he said the state is poised for a full economic recovery, he did not commit to including that expansion in May when the legislature revisits the budget. Uh, we're in a completely different place because of our budget surplus and the support coming from the federal government, but I'm also mindful a lot of that is one time. And so we have to be mindful as we prioritize and set aside uh, those investments, how we do that. City Heights Council Member Sean Elo Rivera toured the vaccination site with the governor and volunteered there on Friday. He said that the lack of a permanent vaccination site in City Heights shouldn't stand in the way of access to the vaccine. What it really comes down to is saying these people are a priority. They're having a hard time accessing the vaccine. And, and what, asking the question then, what do we need to do in order to cut through the barriers that they're facing? Whether that means transportation, whether that means historical discrimination and, and, and very good reasons for distrust of, of the, the, the medical field and being really intentional, intentional about the outreach necessary in order to do that. The vaccination event in City Heights will be followed this weekend by similar events in Barrio Logan and other immigrant communities. And that was KPBS's Max Rivlin Nadler. Over the last year, San Diego home prices have risen to some of the highest in the nation. KPBS's Jacob Ayer reports. San Diego home prices rose the third fastest in the nation for major cities this year, according to S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Indices. A couple of reasons for the surging costs are due to limited supply and record low interest rates, according to San Diego real estate broker Voltaire Lepe. There isn't enough properties out there. There's 2,300 homes for sale. Same time last year, there's 4,800 homes for sale. There's 5% increase in buyers. So when you have this many homes, but this many buyers, that's naturally what's going to happen. Lepe said he expects a small correction for the high home prices, but added that the only people who should potentially wait to buy a home in San Diego are cash buyers. And that was KPBS's Jacob Bear. The Biden administration recently announced plans to boost the production of green energy through offshore wind turbines. But it's unlikely California will see immediate gains. One reason is that the state's steep ocean shelf makes anchoring turbines to the floor impractical. Nancy Krishner Rodriguez is the Western Director of the Business Network for Offshore Wind. For the West Coast, for California, all of our wind farms will have to be floating offshore wind. She says the East Coast will see immediate gains from Biden's executive order. However, she says the prospect of dozens of gigantic floating turbines off the California coast is certainly brighter under the current administration. Later this month, as more Californians get vaccinated, the state will begin allowing crowds at events like conferences and live performances. The relaxed restrictions apply to both indoor and outdoor events. Cap Radio's Mike Haggerty talked with politics reporter Nicole Nixon, who detailed the upcoming changes. Counties in the red orange or yellow tiers can begin hosting larger events, both indoors and outdoors, beginning April 15th. There are a lot of events that fall under these new guidelines, including private gatherings like receptions, events like conferences and conventions, and live performances like theater and sporting events. But there are also a lot of varying rules and capacity limits. It's pretty confusing. Um, but something new with these restrictions is that the state is allowing events to increase their capacity 
if they require attendees to prove that they're fully vaccinated or that they had a negative coronavirus test within the previous 24 hours. Now, tell us more about these capacity limits. How many people are we talking about in an event like a baseball game? Yeah, well, it depends on a few things. One of them is what tier your county is in. Another is the venue's regular capacity. So, for example, here in Sacramento County, we are in the red tier. That means that, Mike, if you and I were to go to an outdoor baseball game, the stands could only be up to 20% full. Hmm. Then if we were to go to a live theater show that's indoors um, at a bit of a smaller venue, those seats could be 10% full. But if the theater company decided to make everybody show proof of vaccination or a negative test at the door, then they would be able to fill their theater up to 25% capacity. Okay, and then if we were still bored and we wanted to go to a Sacramento Kings game, we would both have to show proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test. And the seats indoors could only be 20% full. And that rule requiring proof of vaccination, that becomes optional in the orange or yellow tiers. You're right. That's a lot. The CDC (laughs) is warning that even though people are getting vaccinated, we should still keep our guard up in the pandemic. Are there concerns that the state's moving too soon to allow crowds? Yeah. So Dee Myers, uh, the governor's economic advisor, she said that even with these new guidelines, California will still have some of the strictest pandemic rules in the country. But officials say that they're watching these case trends around the country, and that's why they want to make testing and vaccinations part of the state's plans to reopen moving forward. And what are businesses saying about these new guidelines? Yeah, a lot of groups are really happy about this, as you can imagine. Um, The Sacramento Kings put out a statement. They say they look forward to welcoming fans back to the Golden One Center in the near future. But one group is still upset by this. Um, It's the convention organizers. They are still waiting for official industry guidelines from the state about safety rules for trade shows and conventions. And they say that they're at a big disadvantage because other states have begun allowing those kinds of events already. That's CAP Radio's politics reporter Nicole Nixon speaking with anchor Mike Haggerty. Coming up, the San Diego Public Library wants your input on a new library master plan. We'll have that story next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. Most of the libraries in San Diego have been closed for months, with some open to only limited in-person services. During that time, virtual library services have been expanded, with virtual book chats and online books becoming more available. Now, the San Diego Public Library wants the community to think about the future 
of libraries. It's developing a new library master plan, which is a blueprint for how the library system can look and function in the coming years. A community survey is open to all San Diegans up until April 17th. Patrick Stewart is the CEO of the San Diego Public Library Foundation, and he spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh. What is the status of city libraries now? Are in-person services expanding? So right now, it's pretty much exactly as you described. There are a handful of libraries that are open for very limited in-person services. There's no browsing in the stacks. It's really just being able to pick up holds, being able to drop books off. And in branches like Central, you can come in and there's a couple of computers that are available to be used for a very limited amount of time. A few other branches are available for outdoor pickup and drop off. And then 10 branches have what we call computers in the courtyard. And that's an opportunity for patrons to check out laptops and use them here on site uh, in outdoor spaces for about an hour to 90 minutes each and be able to turn them back in that same day. Yeah. So so these are some of the ways that the libraries have innovated during the pandemic. Tell us about how virtual meetings and book clubs have gone over with the public. Well, all of the stuff, you know, that the library is doing from a technological or digital perspective are really going over very well. The e-resources have expanded um, by hundreds of percent, depending on different platforms that people are checking out and using different databases, learning software. E-books have expanded by about 130%, as have the way that uh, library patrons are connecting, as you're saying, through virtual book clubs and virtual meetups. We expect that this kind of uh, service will still be expected uh, after we open in full. There's a significant amount of our, our patrons and the population that really finds this new connection to the virtual or digital side of the library to be very beneficial for them and the way that they work and the way that they would interact with library and library services. Do you have a timeline in terms of when the libraries are expected to start fully reopening for in-person services? No, we don't. Right now, it's we're still really relying on the tier system. You know, once we really see cases come down, we start moving into uh, safer tiers, then the library system will be able to open up little by little to patrons. But right now, we're really just taking the cues from the county. And, uh, and it probably will, will most likely be in the situation that we're in now for the next couple of months. I'm wondering why are you developing a new library master plan now? Is it because of the innovations developed during the pandemic? Well, the, the innovations developed during the pandemic have really given us an opportunity to highlight what the digital and virtual side of the library looks like, along with being able to understand how technology is being used or not being used in library branches. You know, we have an existing plan uh, that was drafted in the late 90s using 1990 census data and then adopted in the early 2000s. And, and this plan that exists now, it doesn't take into account population growth in many neighborhoods. It left out a lot of branches and it doesn't reflect how libraries are used today specifically with regards to technology. Now, the, the plan that we're working on and developing now uh, was already in the works before we went into lockdown. Last spring, we had developed uh, with the group G4, it's group four, it's an architecture firm in San, D in San Francisco that focuses largely on libraries. We had already developed a phase zero assessment of the library system that was presented to the Library Board of Commissioners in December of 2019. 
And so we decided even after, um, after COVID hit that we were going to continue with the development of the master plan. And particularly, like I said, because of our ability to see how technology was being used by library patrons and uh, being able to address specifically some inequities with technology and, uh, and branch usage in a lot of neighborhoods. So this, is, this has been the perfect time to do this as far as we're concerned. Can you elaborate a little bit about those inequities? Currently, branch capacity is at about 0.3 square feet per capita system-wide. And again, with a projected city growth, we know that we're going to be well below that level in the next decade. And there's also you know, some significant inequity in how that 0.3 square feet per capita is currently being distributed. Um, we have a lot of older, smaller branches in communities that have experienced some significant population growth. I would um, point to Oak Park as being one, Ocean Beach as being another one. Um, very small neighborhood branches that are trying to serve as best they can as many patrons and community members in their neighborhoods. And then really important, you know, while the library has some significant technological advances, it faces some serious challenges around how the equality of technology accesses exists throughout the system. So um, this is a perfect time to really take a look at not only, you know, what's really working in the library system, but be able to project future growth and future use in technology for the library system going forward. So what kind of information are you looking for from the public? So we've got our, like you said, our community engagement uh, phase has kicked off and it starts with the community uh, survey. And right now the community survey ask the community to think about what really works for your library experience. Uh, the survey is thorough. It includes questions about library use, where particular barriers may exist. We look for community insight that's not just around the library, but there are questions in there about why is your community special to you? And also addresses technology and addresses inequities in the system and the kinds of things that you would like to see out of your library and the kind of way that you intersect or interact with your library. Um, one of the things that we've noticed too is a, um, is a significant, there's about 12% of the, the respondents don't even live in the city of San Diego's boundaries. So we know that libraries are being used by uh, residents who live outside of the city in San Diego. And so we wanna hear from them too. Do you use a library? Do you use the city of San Diego public library branch? And, uh, and we wanna hear from you. And we also wanna hear from people who don't use the library, don't use the branches, why or why not? So we're really seeking a broad bit of insight from the community. And people can go to supportmylibrary.org to fill out that survey, and they have until April 17th to do that. And that was KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh speaking with Patrick Stewart, CEO of the San Diego Public Library Foundation. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.